This is Phil Gursky, President and CEO of Borealis Threat and Risk Consulting in Ottawa, Canada, and you're listening to Quick Hits, a short podcast about all things terrorism. I've been thinking about the issue I want to speak about today for quite some time, and it has to do with how we classify terrorism, how we divide it into different categories, how we treat it. A recent case in the United States has brought this to the fore to point out how maybe not what how best not to classify terrorism. In early September, two self-proclaimed members of the Boogaloo Boys were arrested by federal agents in the United States, i.e. the FBI, after allegedly conspiring and attempting to become assets to a foreign terrorist organization. Now, it turns out that that foreign terrorist organization was Hamas. And this was a sting operation, from what I can gather by the FBI, to get these guys. And so they've been charged with, essentially, what the Americans call international terrorism. Now, just to summarize, so Hamas is an Islamist extremist group, supported in part by Iran, but has been around for quite some time. They're, they're jihadis, okay? They believe in an aberrant form of Islam, and they want to, to impose that form on everybody else. The Bukulu boys uh, are in a quite a different part of the ideological spectrum. Uh, these wankers uh, are American, and they're trying to create a, a second American revolution uh, because they feel the first one wasn't complete or some other bullshit like that. And essentially, these guys are white supremacists. They hate everything that's not white and Christian. So on the surface, one would think, what the hell are a bunch of boogaloo wankers doing with Hamas? I'm going to go on a limb here and suggest that Hamas, an Islamist terrorist group, represents just about everything the boogaloo wankers hate. First of all, they're Muslims, and I'm pretty sure Boogaloo boys would see Islam as not welcome, in the United States especially. They probably see all Muslims as terrorists. And what would drive them to to cooperate with Hamas? Now, yes, in the past, there have been some strange uh, bed partners when it comes to terrorism. Thinking back to the Madrid attacks on the metro back in 2004 in March, those terrorists did get some help from some organized crime figures in Spain to to acquire the explosives. At least that's what I had read. Meaning it's not impossible for groups with completely separate ways of looking at the world to cooperate when it benefits one or the other side. And yet this points to a real problem in American counterterrorism policy. Here's an extract from a, an op-ed piece uh, in the Washington Post dated the 9th of September, so a little more than a week ago. And the authors, uh, Seamus Hughes and John Lewis, both of whom I know, said that they called this effort by the FBI to get these Boogaloo boys caught up in a Hamas deal, if you want to call it that, a, quote, unorthodox extremism mashup. And they say it is a reflection of serious gaps in domestic terrorism law. I'm not American. I'm Canadian. I'm certainly not nearly as well-informed of American legal and intelligence practices as I am that Canadian. But it does point out to an odd way in which the American security services, i.e. the FBI, look at terrorism. So the Americans have what are called designated foreign terrorist organizations. Now, we we here in Canada have a terrorist entity list, but it's not called a foreign terrorist entity list. And to the Americans, uh, it seems to be much easier to prosecute and investigate terrorism if it has a foreign link to it. The Americans have a real problem 
with what they call domestic terrorism, which the Boogaloo Boys are a classic example. I mean, they're an American organization. And I think part of this has to do with the very strong First Amendment rights in the United States, the freedom of speech, freedom of association, and that there is a reluctance to charge what we would call terrorists, what they call domestic terrorists, with terrorism. There tends to be a tendency to charge them with you know, making false statements or purchasing firearms or threatening communications, which as Hughes and Lister point out, usually carry significantly less prison time than terrorism charges will. I think that this is completely bonkers. I don't understand why the Americans do it this way. Terrorism is terrorism is terrorism. It is a crime or a planned crime that is based on ideological, political, or religious motivation. Where that motivation comes from should be irrelevant. It doesn't have to be international. It can come from your backyard. It can come from your, your, your Aunt Teresa's kitchen. It doesn't really matter the provenance of the ideology. It's the ideology itself that matters. And so the, you know, the U.S. administrations across over the years have had to have this, this bizarre, as, as Hughes and Lister pointed, this bizarre mashup of investigations and charges to try to get terrorism to stick. Why not just call it terrorism? Why do you have to invent a bizarre scenario in which an Islamist extremist group is seen cooperating with a bunch of Americans who want to go back to 1776? albeit with a quite a different result. It wouldn't be democracy that came out of their revolution. It would be a, a fundamentalist extremist state for white people only, for Christians only, et cetera, et cetera. No immigrants, no Muslims, and the list goes on and on and on. We here in Canada don't treat it that way. We don't, we don't differentiate domestic from international terrorism. That's not a relevant distinction for us. It's not a useful classification. It's not something that we see as making it easier for us to investigate and prosecute terrorism. Terrorism, as I said earlier, terrorism is terrorism. If a Canadian happens to be inspired by Islamic State or Al-Qaeda or whatever, and plans or carries an attack in Canada, he or she is a terrorist. It's simply put. We don't have to prove that they're linked to an international organization like Islamic State or Al-Qaeda or Al-Shabaab or whatever. We have the legal statutes and the ability to prosecute it under Section 83.01 of the Criminal Code. Now, the fact that we don't do very well with prosecutions is a completely different issue, one I've, I've lamented for, for against for a long time in various podcasts and blogs. And I think that's just an ignorance on the part of the prosecution prosecutorial services in Canada. That's a whole other kettle of fish. My humble recommendation to my American friends, and I do still have friends in the FBI and, and the CIA and even with NSA, the National Security Agency, which is America's Signals Intelligence Agency. I, I dealt a lot with them when I worked for CSE, Communication Security Establishment, which is a Canadian version of our, our SIGINT service, is to stop this chicanery, to stop this ridiculous need to try to bring in international terrorist groups to prove terrorism on your soil. It complicates matters. It makes them seem almost unreal. And I'm wondering if, in fact, the Americans run the risk of having these cases seen as entrapment. As one judge ruled, not intelligently, in my humble opinion, in a case back in 2013 on the West Coast in British Columbia, where she ruled the RCMP, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, had entrapped two converts to blow up the Victoria legislature on Canada Day. Now, it's true, uh, in a post-9-11 period, I'm pretty sure entrapment or sting operations 
don't tend to fly in these states. They tend to get fairly, fairly high success in prosecuting and getting back guilty verdicts in most of the cases, I would imagine. But it still strikes me as something, why, why would you take the risk of developing a case along a completely fantastic set of circumstances only to have it fail? Charge the Boogaloo Boys as terrorists. Don't charge them as domestic terrorists. Don't charge them as international terrorists. Charge them as terrorists. The Boogaloo Boys movement is categorically a terrorist movement. It is a campaign of extreme violence that is carried out for political and ideological reasons. Now, I am under no illusions that my voice is going to have any impact or any influence on how the Americans do this. It's just a friendly suggestion. Speaking as a Canadian, we see our Americans as not just our neighbors, but our best friends. Although that friendship's being challenged a little bit these days because of the man in charge. But still, I have a lot of time for my American colleagues and the American system. To me, this is simply a better way of doing things. This is free of charge advice from just a lowly retired Canadian intelligence veteran to my American colleagues on how you might want to rethink the way you do terrorism. Anyhow, that's how I see the issue. What do you think? You can get back to me on email, borealisrisk at gmail.com. You can also reach me on Twitter at Borealis Saves or on LinkedIn or Facebook. If you want to comment on this, please get a hold of me. If you want to receive all the material that I produce, blogs, podcasts, etc., free of charge, simply go to my website, borealisthreatrisk.com. Hit the subscribe button. You get a free daily email every morning with all the content. I'd love to hear from you, feedback on this, as well as ideas for, for future broadcasts. I'll talk to you again soon. Until then, stay safe. Thank you.